You are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. Good morning, Life Community Church and others joining us in the Facebook world. Uh, Thank you for spending some time on your Sunday morning with us here today. Um, some of you may be watching this for the first time. Uh, some of you may be watching this for I don't, how many, I don't know how many times this has happened. I don't, I don't remember for maybe like the however many time you're watching this. Um, my name is Adam, Adam Carroll. I'm one of the uh, fill-in preachers here from time to time. Um, and maybe you're somewhat across this page for the first time and wondering who Life Community Church is. Well, uh, thank you for wondering that. We are a church for the city. Uh, is making much about the name of Christ. We seek to do that in four primary ways. Practice love with everyone always. To give more than makes sense. To chase after the likeness of Christ in every corner of our lives. And to anchor ourselves in the truth, unchanging truth of God's Word. Those are a little bit about who we are. have uh, one major announcement. You can go to our uh, church's website to keep up to date on some of the things going on, um, keep up to date on some of the work that we're continuing to do in the community. There's also an opportunity there to continue to support the church. Um, the church has not stopped being the church during this time. We're continuing to support others in our community and continue to show the love of Christ in other areas of our lives. So please continue your support of the church and everything that's going on here. God is continuing to do some some neat stuff. Um, but again, thank you for joining us here today. We're continuing our sermon series on the fruits of the Spirit. Um, and when I found out that I was going to be preaching about love, which is a very interesting topic. I mean, if you think about love, just for a moment, um, it seems that poets, prophets, and philosophers have tried for thousands of years to try to sum up what love is, to try to properly describe what love looks like in a person's life and how we can appropriately show love to others. But it's really, really hard to get a good, clear picture of it, especially if we're trying to get a clear picture of love outside of the context of God's Word. It becomes even more difficult because it, it never fully lives up to our expectations. So as I found out uh, that I would be preaching about this particular topic a few things almost immediately came to mind. Not quite immediately came to mind, but almost immediately, as close to immediately comes to mind as happens in my mind. Um, (laughs) That was funny. And I'm laughing, and I know that all of you in your homes and your pajamas are also laughing right now, so I just join you in that. That's good. Uh, Anyways, but a few things immediately came to mind. A few songs, actually, and they've been stuck in my head um, really ever since then, and every time that I've thought of them, they've brought a, a little bit of a smile to my face, so I just want to share them with you. Um, before I go any further, though, I want to make sure everybody knows I'm not going to sing those songs for you, because that would be terrible uh, for everybody. And there, there's very few people here, but I, you would hear a chorus of boos if I started singing right now. So I will not do that to you today. But a few of the songs that, that came to mind, um, I'll just say a few lines of them. Uh, what is love? 
came to my mind. And now you are singing that song in your head, finishing that song out, or you're, maybe you're singing it out loud. I don't know, maybe. But that was one that came to my mind. Um, another one that came to my mind uh, very quickly after that, perhaps it was the answer to that one, I don't know, uh, was love is a verb. Um, if you don't know 90s DC Talk, you need to, you need to look that up on, on the YouTube machine as soon as you're done here. Um, and you're welcome for that. If you are a 90s youth group kid, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, and then the last one that came to my mind was How He Loves Us, a song that David Crowder Band sings. Um, and just that one, maybe the most important. Love is a Verb is a pretty fun song too, but it helped me think a little bit differently about God's love for us and what that looks like and how that can radically change a person's life. And here's the thing about love. Love doesn't stop just because life is chaotic. Love doesn't stop. The, the call of God to us try to, to try to cultivate the fruits of the Spirit in our lives, to try to live these things and represent Christ well in the world around us, that doesn't stop just because life feels a little bit chaotic or a lot of bit chaotic. And as I started thinking about that even, started thinking back on my own life and tried to find a time when life didn't feel at least a little bit chaotic, whether it wasn't some sort of personal chaos or personal turmoil that was going on in my life or something that was going on outside of myself that I had no control over whatsoever. And it was, I was hard-pressed to think of a time when life, when there wasn't some degree of change, some degree of chaos or turmoil in my life. And that's the thing about these, these fruits of the Spirit that we're studying over these next few weeks is that those are meant to be a part of our lives regardless of what's going on around us. And it could be said that maybe the fruits of the Spirit are even more important in our life, even more important that we try to make them a focus of our lives during the times that life does feel the most stressful and the most chaotic. Because those fruits are a great indicator of where God is at in our lives a great indicator of what it is God is doing, of the maturity that God is developing in our lives. And as I thought through this a little bit more, I thought back on those times of my life also that felt the most, most chaotic and the most in turmoil. Those are the times that God did the most in my own heart too to create just a little bit more maturity in me, to help me reflect Him just a little bit better in my daily life. Hopefully, I'm obviously still not great at that. And none of us are. None of us are perfect at showing these things. Um, in fact, uh, yesterday, uh, my wife's in another room right now, so she's probably at home saying to herself, Adam, stop, 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 Adam. But it's okay. It's fine. Um, yesterday, we, we did some flooring uh, in our home, and I'm not a, a floorer, floor installer. I don't know what the word is there, but uh, Definitely outside of my skill set. And if you ever want a good reminder that the fruits of the Spirit are not fully in your life just yet, take on a little project that's outside of your skill set, and you'll see very quickly that maybe patience isn't something you're great at. Or maybe joy, no matter what, uh, when you've cut the same board 15 different times, it seems. Uh, it wasn't 15, it was actually only four, but who's counting? I'm not, it's fine. Um, we need God to continue to work in our lives in these things. Each of us need Christ desperately to work in our lives in these things. 
So let's see how God does that. Let's see what God is talking about here. Turn with me, uh, if you have your Bibles, Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 24, that I think will be up on your screens. It says this, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So first of all, something we need to take away from this passage that the fruits of the Spirit are something that God grows within us. It's something that God does inside of us. It's a work that He is doing inside of us. Um, it's coming close to time when people plant gardens or fields. I can't, when I plant green beans, I can't make those green beans grow. Like, I can't go out there and, like, manipulate the plant so that it does exactly what I want it to do. I can try to do some things to cultivate the soil. I can water it. I can nourish it. I can do what I can to be a small part of that. But that plant is the thing that makes that thing grow. The not fruit, it's a vegetable, but the vegetable of that plant is the green bean. In our own lives, the fruits of the Spirit are something that God does inside of us. It's something that His Spirit does inside of us, growing us, maturing us, helping us to more appropriately reflect Him in the world. We can try to cultivate it, but we can't make it grow on our own. In fact, I think these fruits are most rightly exemplified in our lives in the times that we are most firmly rooted in Christ, the times that we are most devoted to Him, and the times that we are resting the most in Him and what He has done for us. I think those are the times that we are most likely able to develop these fruits and to grow these fruits, to show these fruits in our lives. And the first one that Paul mentions here is love, and that's what we'll be talking about today. And we all know, as I mentioned before, love is, can be a complicated thing. It can be difficult for us to wrap our mind around it. It's a multifaceted diamond that we could take years trying to talk about and thinking about and trying to understand and not fully scratch the surface even of the depths of love. Even within the Bible itself, I mean, the Bible itself is one giant love story of God's love for us, His people. And we could spend days trying to understand and digging through different passages that talk about love. So we won't spend days here doing that. I don't think anyways, unless something weird happens. Um, so we won't cover everything. But kind of introductory, this love that God is calling us to, is this, is this an easy love? Like, is this the type of love that we talk about when we say, like, I love pizza, or I love coffee? Like, I don't think that's the kind of love that God is talking about here. That kind of love is extremely easy. Is it the kind of love that kind of naturally happens when somebody's kind to us? I love it when that person does that. Oh, I really love it when they make spaghetti because spaghetti's good. I don't know. I always talk about food. I was about to say, I don't know why I'm talking about food, but we all know exactly why I'm talking about food because I always talk about food. Anyways, that kind of love, that's not the kind of love that we're talking about. In fact, in Matthew, talks, Jesus mentions or says that what good is kindness shown to you, people who are kind to you? What good is it to show love to others who love you? That's not difficult. Everybody can do that. Anybody can do that. 
the love that God is calling us here to is, is a different kind of love. It's a more difficult love. You could even say it's a more risky love. The Greek here, I won't bore you with all the details of the Greek here, but the Greek here, it implies a choice. It's an act of the will. Almost in the sense of, there's a part of me that doesn't want to show love right now. There's a part of me that wants to show the opposite of love, or maybe just indifference. But I'm going to choose to show love anyways, because it's what God is calling me to. There's a definition of love that we're using here for this. It says this, The word love doesn't refer to to warm feelings, but to a deliberate attitude of goodwill and devotion to others. Love gives freely without looking at whether the other person deserves it, and gives without expecting anything back. This is the kind of love that God is calling us to. But if we're honest with ourselves, in some sense, that kind of love makes us vulnerable because it puts us out there, right? There's the chance that the person that we're showing love to, that a part of us is saying, I don't really want to show love to that person. There's a chance that that person may reject our love or that person may return our love with hatred. They may get mad at us. They may not like the thing that we're doing for them. The deliberate choice to serve, they may reject that service. That's going to be weird, right? When you try to do something nice for somebody and they get mad at you for doing it, like, uh, like you just kind of get confused and you walk away. At least that's what I do. Um, I don't know if that's what anybody else does or not. But this love, like I said, it's not an easy love. But it's exactly the kind of love God showed us. In fact, God's love cost his son everything. And then we say that and we think about it and we, and we talk about it. And in church world, it can almost become cliche. Or we say it without even thinking about it sometimes. But like it was the ultimate symbol, the ultimate expression of what love actually looks like. To willingly give yourself for somebody to the point where even Christ on the cross is saying, Father, forgive them. I don't know what they're doing. They just beat him within inches of his life, and his thought is not, oh, I'm going to get them back one day. His thought is, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That kind of love isn't fully expressed in my life. Not all the time. Sometimes maybe glimmers of it, but not, it's not fully there. So what does this love look like? How can we get a better picture of this? And, and how do we develop this kind of love in our lives? How do we get to the place where maybe we're, we're more quickly to able to show that kind of love? We'll talk a little bit more about what it looks like. Jesus tells a great parable about this kind of love. In Matthew, Luke chapter 10, Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 29. If you have Bibles in your homes or a device that you're using, you can turn there with me and, and ring, read along with me if you'd like. We'll start in verses 25 through 29. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, meaning Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? I love how the lawyer comes to Jesus with a question, and instead of just saying, Well, 
son, here's the answer to this question. He asks him another question. Like he's almost, he's inviting him into a dialogue with him. He's inviting him. Let's think about this a little bit more deeply. Like it would have been easy for Jesus to say, like, you, you already know what the answer is, right? You're a lawyer. You're like your job is to study the law, the Old Testament law, what we call the Old Testament law. Your job is to know these things. You're a teacher of the people. And instead, Jesus says, okay, let's, let's have this discussion. What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, the lawyer this time, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? So this teacher of the law tries to come up with this little trick. Let's try to catch Jesus in a trap. Let's try to make him look bad in front of people. There likely would have been a crowd around Jesus at this time, as often happened when Jesus traveled and spoke out in the public. People would gather around him because it's exciting stuff and people wanted to be there. So he comes to him and says, I'm going to trick him. And the way I envision this, I have a slightly overactive imagination. It's part of what I do, who I am. It, kind of him like talking to his little buddies, like, all right, so I'm going to tell Jesus this. I'm going to ask him this question. And I'm going to get him. And his one buddy's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's get him. And his other buddy's like, yeah, I totally do it. And then there's always one buddy there, one guy there, one friend there who's like, that's a bad idea. Like, you shouldn't even do that. I don't know if that happened. That's not in the text. But in my life, there's always that one friend who's like, no, that's a bad idea. You shouldn't do that. And usually... Nobody listens to that friend. Like, people should listen to that friend more often. So anyways, they get this little plan. Again, overactive imagination. They come to Jesus and say, okay, Jesus, here's this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, without skipping a beat, says, what's written in the law? How do you read it? How do you interpret it? What is it you see there? And the guy answers Perfectly. In Matthew, in another account of Jesus speaking with others, we see Jesus quote this same passage, which is from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man trying to justify himself, trying to go just a little bit further, almost as if he was surprised by that answer. Okay, so who's my neighbor? Let's put some brackets around this love thing. Like if the call is to love God with everything inside of me, everything that I have, and then to love my neighbor as myself, okay, Jesus, I need some clear definition as to who my neighbor is because surely, surely you don't mean everybody. Surely you don't mean that person or that person. That person that drives me crazy all the time and frustrates me to no end. Surely you don't mean, I don't have to love that person, do I? And Jesus, instead of just giving a lecture, decides to tell a story to answer this man's question as to who is lovable? Who is it appropriate to show love to? And who is it inappropriate to show love to? Verses 30 through 37, we'll read through this. Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, 
passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took, him, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Now, a few things about this story, and about maybe the way it might have been heard when Jesus first told it. Again, this is a story we've heard thousands of times. I think back to, uh, I used to teach Sunday school years ago, little kids Sunday school, we had a little felt board, a little felt board Jesus, and I, I loved it. It was so much fun, and it'd be great to have one now, to be quite honest with you. But anyways, I loved the little felt board, and I loved telling stories with it. And I'm fairly certain, I remember telling this particular story with that felt board. I had a little felt board Jesus telling the story, and a little felt board Good Samaritan, um, and all these things going on here. But we've heard this story so many times, it's, Again, it's easy to kind of lose sight of what's going on here. So we'll give a little bit of background. First thing, Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. They were enemies. They, they hated each other. There were not good feelings between the two of them. It was like, hey, you're my neighbor. Hey, let's have lunch together. There were great animosity between the two groups of people. And I was trying to think through you know, particular groups of people that may feel this way today. And I could think of a few, but I don't know if they even quite do it justice. They absolutely hated each other. The Samaritans were descendants of the northern kingdoms. Uh, the, so way back in the day, the nation of Israel split into two kingdoms. A little history time with Adam here. Uh, the first kingdom, the northern kingdom, not the first kingdom, I don't know why I said first kingdom. Anyways, the northern kingdom was eventually taken into captivity. Um, and then the Samaritans, they were the descendants of that kingdom, of intermarriage between Jewish people and non-Jewish people. And the Jewish people who lived in the southern kingdom of Judah until they eventually went into captivity also and then came back into the land. They looked down on the northern kingdom, the Samaritans, the descendants of that northern kingdom, because they had intermarried. And to them that was unforgivable something that they could never let go of. And there were other things going on there, but that's the gist of it. They were just naturally enemies. And this road from Jerusalem down to Jericho was known as a dangerous road. It was known to have robbers and villains and all sorts of treachery on that road. So it was a dangerous road to walk on. So as the people in Jesus' crowd that day were hearing the story, they would have heard a Levite and a Pharisee, those, those are the good guys, right? Those are the guys that you would expect. They would see the man on the side of the road, and they would say, that's my brother. I need to go take care of him. I need to go help him. But instead, what you see in Jesus' story, <laughs> they see him, and they're kind of like, I'm going to walk over here and go on this side of the road instead. They want to avoid the problem as much as they can, maybe for a few reasons, right? Maybe 
We don't know. We know that it was a dangerous road is what history would tell us. So maybe they were afraid. Maybe they're afraid if they stopped, maybe they would have the same problem come upon them. They'd end up half dead just like this guy. Maybe they were busy. Countless reasons as to why. But then the Samaritan came along. And unexpectedly in the story, he goes to the man who's on the side of the road. And again, Samaritans and Jews, to say they don't like each other is an understatement. They hated each other. So he goes to this man, and instead of avoiding him or maybe adding to the problem, helps him, takes care of him, never asks for anything in return, never seeks fame or glory for it, just quietly serves, picks him up, puts him on his donkey, takes him to an inn. And then at great cost to himself, that two denarii was about a day's wage, about two days' wages, um, gave for this man. It would have been unexpected for the people here in this story. So that's that story. It would have surprised them, would have shocked them. It wouldn't have been what they were looking for. But like so many of the parables that Jesus told, they weren't just nice stories that Jesus told. They were meant to help us see what God's kingdom actually looks like. Meant to help us see what life living the way Christ invites us into live it, into the kingdom of God that Christ spoke about, the kingdom of heaven that Christ spoke about throughout the Gospels. They're meant to show us what that life actually looked like, how life is meant to look serving Him. And ultimately, they're an example of Christ. How can we not read through that story and start to see the way Christ desperately loves us? Paul would tell us in Ephesians, Ephesians that we were naturally enemies of God because of our sin. And yet Christ in his mercy reached out to us. And we could do nothing for him. We could do nothing to earn God's love. We can never do anything to rise to the standard of absolute holiness and perfection. And that's why Christ had to come, the righteous, to give his life for the unrighteous so that we might become the righteousness of God. That's exactly what Christ did for us. This unexpected love, this surprising love, this risky love that we see the Samaritan show in here. That's the love that Christ shows us. And then that's the love that Christ invites us into to share with others. How do we even do that, though? Because, again, that love can be costly. That love can be difficult. We have other things going on. We have stuff to do. How can I show love to people? How can I show love to people when life is difficult, when life is hard? Part of it, um, there in Ephesians, Paul says, requires a death to our flesh, a death to ourselves. It requires us remembering that we're representing something bigger We're representing something more important here. We're representing Christ. Yes, I have, we all have lots of stuff going on, right? We all have lots of things happening in our workplaces and our families and our friends and everything with life. We all have lots of things going on. But also as Christians, we're called to represent something bigger than ourselves. 
We get to carry this message of the gospel, the goodness of God, the good news of Christ. We get to share that with others in everyday interactions with people. And one of the ways we do that is through love. But how do we even do that? What, what is it? How does it even start? That's a good question. Thanks for asking. Thanks. Um, I think it begins with relationships. By taking the time to actually get to know people. Very rarely have I, have I walked down the street and found somebody beat half to death, right? It hasn't happened. I don't think it's ever happened. I, I think I'd remember that for sure. But, but we see needs all around us. And maybe sometimes we don't see those needs. Those needs are there. There are people around us who need maybe just a word of encouragement, maybe just a helping hand from time to time. But if we're so locked into ourselves that we don't know what's going on in their lives, if we haven't taken the time to build a relationship with them, Sometimes we get this idea that presenting the gospel is doing stuff like this, standing up and preaching, and that's, that's a part of it, and we need that. We need people to boldly proclaim God's truth, but we also need to take the time to get to know individuals in our everyday lives and find out what's going on in their lives, and maybe, just maybe, we'll get an opportunity to show that fruit of love to them. Maybe, just maybe, we'll, we'll see a need that we can help meet, and that we can be a blessing to that person. Again, maybe it's just a word of encouragement. Maybe it's a helping hand. Maybe it's a phone call or a text message or however we're able to communicate these days. It, it, it takes some time. It also takes taking the time to look at the hindrances in our own life. I know for me, I, I've kind of alluded this to already, but the thing that gets in my way the most is selfishness. I get caught up in the things that I have going on. I get caught up in being busy and doing things and good things, I hope. But it requires taking the time. It requires looking at my life and asking myself, am I more concerned about what I want and what I think I need? Or am I more concerned about what God is doing in my life? Am I more concerned about the person that he is trying to create me to be in? And am I more concerned about representing him well, or am I more concerned about myself? It's not an easy thing to do. It's not an easy thing to change. And whatever the hindrance is in your life, I'm sure it's different than mine, but maybe you're thinking to yourself, okay, so how do I change that? Like, I see that I'm not great at always showing love to people. I see that I'm not great at always trying to represent Christ well in the way I interact with others and building relationships with other people. So how do I change that? Is it something that I can just like muscle through? Is it something I can just try really hard and try to force my way through it? Like if I push harder, is it going to happen? Maybe for a moment. I can't say for sure, but I think the way we become the type of person that's able to do that is to become the type of person who's able to take that risk. To take that risk to actually show that love. Because again, it's a very dangerous place. And the very dangerous thing to do. And the things that hold us back, we probably have very legitimate reasons as to why those things are holding us back. Those hindrances are there for a reason. Probably are busy. 
we all do have a lot going on. But am I willing to risk what I want in the moment to try to be who it is God wants me to be now and in the future? And I think the way we become the type of person that's willing to risk that love is to become more firmly rooted in Christ. Because when I am firmly rooted in Him, then I know that I can trust Him. Those things that I, that I think I need, I can trust that God is doing something bigger in my life. And that's what John, the apostle of love, as he's often referred to as, says in, in his first epistle, he's the writer of the Gospel of John. He, um, he was there when Christ was crucified. He followed him up to the end. In his first epistle, 1 John chapter 4, verses 8 through 11, he says this, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. In this, in this love that God is showing us, it gets a little clunky in the English, but in this love that God is showing us, in this love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be, to be the propitiation for our sins, to be the sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Let me go back to that line again. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. The only way we can appropriately show the love of God in our lives, the only way we can find a willingness to risk that kind of love is to be firmly rooted in the love that Christ gives us. Because that love has to come first. The love that we show to others has to come from the over overflow of the love that God has shown us. So we do that through things like this, through gathering together, whether it be online or with your friends, with your family, to spend time trying to understand God's love God's word more deeply, worshiping him for all the good things that he's given us, reminding ourselves of all the blessings that he gives us, taking the time in our personal lives to spend time in his word, just to read it and allow it to mold us and shape our lives. That's how we cultivate the soil of our soul, so to speak, so that the spirit can produce that type of fruit in our lives. It's to know that love so that we're able then to show that love to others. Because when we are most firmly rooted in his love, we're most able to show that love to others. If I'm not firmly rooted in that, then I don't have anything to give. But when I am in that, it's more difficult to be selfish. It's easier to die to our flesh. And give in to what it is. The bigger better thing that God is doing in our lives today. So with that, we're, we're going to go into a time of prayer and reflection, and maybe, maybe you're hearing stuff like this for the first time. Maybe you've never heard about the love of God in your life. Maybe you've never been able to experience that. Just 
ask that you pray about that as we go into this prayer time. Ask God to show that in your lives. I have a few other prayer requests here that have been sent in. Also, ask that we be prayerful about the church being back together again soon. Amen. We'll continue to pray for those who are continuing to serve others also. So with that, I'll pray. Dear God, I thank you for this time that we can gather together and worship you. God, we join with Austin in these prayers about um, bringing us back to a time when we can gather together and we can worship you together as a family. God, until that time, I pray that you would continue to strengthen our hearts, strengthen our souls. Help us to grow more deeply rooted in you. God, I pray that these times that feel chaotic and and unusual and different in our lives, I pray that you would use those to help us become more firmly rooted in who you are. God, make us more aware of the love that you give us, of the love that you show us on a daily basis, all the blessings and all the unexpected ways you've shown up in our lives. And God, help us to represent that love well. God, I just pray for those in their homes who may be dealing with whatever it is they may be dealing with. God, even now as we sing this last song, I pray that you speak to them, that you show them your love very clearly in your name.